my goodness. We have been in such a fun series, such a fun place. And I just, I want to invite the Lord to just speak today. So would you pray with me? We know, Father, that you are trustworthy. We know, Father, that you are good. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are faithful in every area of our lives. We know that you have gifts for us. We know that you have good in store. We know that your plans are to prosper and not to harm, to give hope and a future. And we know that comes in our surrender to your will. So today, Father God, we surrender. We surrender our agenda. We surrender our plans, what we want or what we think. And we want to follow you. Speak to us today as your body. As brothers and sisters in unity. With you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us hear from heaven today. Amen. We have been in a series since January. Can you tell me the three words we've been saying over and over and over and over? Boom. Intimacy, identity, increase. Intimacy with who? Then what happens when you have a relationship with the Lord? You know who you are. You know whose you are, you know what to do, when to do it, because you're in relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit fills you with power and guides you in your identity so that you can walk in authority, and increase can naturally be the outflow. Amen? So we talked about in the first message, increase being a transformed mind, that when we say yes to Jesus, we have a brand new brain. No more excuses, husbands. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. Was. I know. Listen, I, t I take it all the time, so you can take it for just a second. No, to all of us, no excuses because we have been given the mind of Christ. Amen? So sometimes when my mind isn't working quite right and I make a joke that's not funny, I'm sorry if I offended you. Please don't be offended. But our minds are his minds. That's a, that's a reality. That's the truth we get to stand on. And we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, by intimacy. Amen? So then the last message that we, that we spoke on, increase, is in being a servant of all. Jesus came to serve. He came to serve, and he calls each one of us to be like him and serve one another. In Romans 12, 2, we've been kind of working our way through this passage. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. A renewed mind transforms a person. A transformed person transforms a family. A transformed family transforms a city. Amen? Are you transforming today? Are you all transformers? Show me your, you know, my arm turns in. No, I'm just kidding. We are being transformed. And our transformation transforms our household. And our household's transformation transforms our church. And our church transformation transforms our city. We are called to affect this beautiful county for Jesus. Amen? 
Romans 12, 4 through 5 was our last message. In the human body, there are many parts and organs, each with a unique function, and so it is with the body of Christ. For though we are many, we've all been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are vitally joined to one another, with each contributing to the others. Is there anybody in this room that does not have a vital role to play? From the youngest to the oldest, is there anybody in this room that does not have a vital? It says we are vitally joined together because if we are not joined together, we are a disjointed body. But because of Christ, we are joined together in unity and every single one of us has a vital role to play as his bride, as the church. Amen? You are vital. You are vital to the body of Christ in Tuscarawas Valley, not just Lifeway body of Christ, the body, the church, becoming all that glorious bride that Jesus has destined her to be. And you are vital to that. No excuses, no saying I'm not important or I don't have a gift. I promise you he placed treasures inside of you and you are a diamond in the rough if you feel like it, but you are a diamond. You have his glory in you. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. Bill Johnson. I love that. What is your identity? You are daughters and sons of the King of Kings. That makes you royalty. What are you to one another sitting next to you? I'm your servant. I am your servant. I'm here to serve and honor Jesus in serving one another. How do I do that? Out of my life source, intimacy with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Roman, I'm sorry, Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life as the ransom price for the salvation of many. I believe that church has become something that was never intended. Church was never intended to be relegated to a Sunday service and a Wednesday night service. Church was never intended to happen in a building. Yes, we gather together as the body of Christ, but church was meant to happen on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not relegated to a religious duty, but an opportunity to serve like he served, to love like he loved, to give your neighbor a donut when you have extra. Come on. Church, this is incredible that we get to come together. This is a celebration of what God has been doing all week long. But church doesn't happen here. It does, but it doesn't. It happens out there. Then we get to come together as the body and celebrate what God's doing. I want you to take one second, and I want you to turn to somebody, and I want you to testify about what God did this week. Think about it. Now turn to somebody and tell them, what did God do this week? Testify. Outside of these four walls, on the flash, what did God do this week? Find somebody and tell them. It sounds like God did a lot. Doesn't it? You hear the echoes across the room? The echoes of the goodness of the Lord in our lives on a daily? The echoes of the church across the land? You are talking to your brother and your sister in Christ. Guess what? You are all related. 
Whether we like it or not, we are brothers and sisters. And I think it's amazing. And I see something happening here. Uh, Sean called it revival. And I believe it's a reviving of the love for one another that Jesus said they will know us by our love for each other. Amen? They will know us by our love. They won't know us by our judgment. They won't know us by our religious duty. They won't know us by telling them how to dress and how to eat and how to drink and what to wear. They will know us by our love for one another. And out of that love that we have for each other stirs up the revival that we have been praying for, seeking God for, and moving towards. Whew. Love. We've been watching The Chosen, and we want to show you a clip this morning that hit me straight in the nose. How many of you like The Chosen? If you haven't watched it, get it, watch it. It's amazing. It's a, a show about the life of Jesus. They take dramatic liberties, I will tell you that, but there is a lot of scripture and a lot of reference to the biblical perspective of Christ's life, and it is one of the most powerful Jesus shows I've ever seen in my whole life. And I am telling you right now that this scene of this show in episode 3, titled Matthew 4.24, I read the scripture passage to start out the day. Jesus healed every person he came in contact with. So we're, we're in the middle of episode 3, and Jesus is ministering in, in an, a secluded area. People are coming for healing all day long. And he is, he is praying, or, or just, I don't know what to say, dispensing? That doesn't sound right. He is healing every sick person. He's healing every person that comes to him. He is ministering. He is working all day long. And the disciples are watching this happen, and there's a conversation happening around the campfire that kind of would probably be what we would do. And they're sitting there, and they're talking about, you know, well, why did he pick today to do this? We could have done this on another day. Isn't there more important things that he should be doing? Didn't he come to defeat the Romans? Haven't we waited long enough? This is so hard. Why are we here serving these people? What if they just come, they just keep coming and wanting from him. And they're having this conversation, and they begin to talk about their history as Jews. And they're sitting in a circle of men and women who've been called by Jesus to be his followers and they're all kind of lamenting about how hard it was to be a Jew and to be God's chosen people. All the while, Jesus is not at the campfire. Jesus is at, across the way healing people all day long. So that's the scene. That's where we are. And I want you to watch this and catch what is happening in the body of Christ. And you probably can relate. But just pay attention to what happens very closely because, whew, okay, let's watch it. Sorry that you couldn't see that very well, but what you heard was the argument going on around the fire about how they, Peter didn't want to forgive Matthew because Matthew was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, and how they were arguing and fighting and unwilling to forgive. And what you hear, if you didn't see it, was Jesus walk up past them in the middle of their argument, and they get silent. And you can hear him walking, but what you see when you watch it in a better screen, sorry about that, is that Jesus is covered in sweat. He's covered in other people's blood. He's weary, bone weary from ministering all day. 
and he walks by the fire of his followers and says good night. He doesn't yell at them or correct them. He doesn't need to say anything. He just walks by having served. And they all, it was like you could just sense it. And in my heart, of just uh, put in my place of who am I to complain or fight or not forgive. And that whole scene, rewatch it when you have a chance, was just so incredibly powerful. And it speaks to the body of Christ because we're all unique. We're all different. We all have probably hurt each other at some point or another. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. And he changes how we interact. Because in the world, we would interact a certain way. But in, in, in the house, in the family, we are servants of one another. The transformed mind transforms a person. Transformed person transforms a family. A transformed family transforms a city. Turn to Romans chapter 12. This passage has been our main passage of scripture for this entire series on increase. And we're going to wrap up this passage today and then look forward next Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. So we're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to go all the way to the end today of Romans chapter 12. So practically, all right, we've heard in theory, transformed family transforms a city. A transformed church transforms a city. But practically, what does that look like? How do we display this inward transformation externally to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, Paul is writing the book of Romans to the Christians, to the church in Rome. How are we to relate to each other as brothers and sisters? So here we go. And we're gonna kind of just dig into this passage of scripture today, make this our meal, starting in verse nine, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Stop there for a moment. Church, the gospel is not behavior modification. Religion is behavior modification. Jesus is far more interested in your heart than he is in your behavior. If he has your heart, Right, what does it say in Proverbs? Guard your heart because everything that you do flows from it. So if Jesus has your heart, then what you do from the heart that he has will take care of itself. The Pharisees and the the religious teachers of the law, they were far more concerned with your behavior do the right things, say the right things, look the right part, and you're good. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to revolutionize our thinking, transform our thinking. It's not so much about what you do, but it's about your heart. Never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Don't fake it till you make it. That will do far more damage than just genuinely loving someone out of a transformed heart. 
how we love those in the church and those outside of the church should always be in response to the love and goodness of God, should always be in response to the continual working of the Holy Spirit in our lives through intimacy. That's why intimacy is so important because how we love people flows out of that place. It can't just be something we try to manufacture. You can't manufacture love and peace and patience and self-control. Those are fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who forms these virtues inside of you. You can't manufacture it. You can't try harder to love more, to have more peace, to be more patient. That comes through intimacy with the Father. That comes through the Holy Spirit working those out in you. And through the Holy Spirit's work, then you can love people into revival. But it has to come from that place. It's not pretense. It's not tolerating each other. It's genuine Christ-like love. Troy. When we try to produce the fruit of the Spirit from our own spirit, we produce waxed fruit, and they taste terrible. That's it. We can try all we want to make it look like the fruit of the Spirit, but only the Spirit can produce that fruit within us that truly then transforms another person. Keep going. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Listen, Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. That was his mission. We cannot entertain the enemy's tactics whatsoever. You can't play with sin. You can't play with fire either. What happens? You get burned. Ooh, it looks fun, but in the end, leads to destruction. We can keep going with that, but we don't have enough time. Let's say it this way. The more you grow in your love for Jesus, the more you will grow in your hatred of sin. Don't focus on the enemy. Focus on Jesus. The more you fall in love with him, the more you will hate whatever tries to come against him. And you'll be able to recognize the difference. I heard a phenomenal analogy a while back about bank tellers and how they are trained to identify fraudulent bills. Do you know how they're trained? They study the real thing. They don't study the fraudulent bills. They study the real ones. And when you study the real thing, you can identify the fake. Same way with Jesus. Don't focus on the enemy. Don't focus on trying to beat him at his own game. Focus on Jesus. Despise what is evil. Verse 10, be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. I love how the Passion Translation translates this passage. Outdo yourselves in showing honor to one another. And Paul, he does such a phenomenal job of beginning with love because everything flows out of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love demonstrated in your joy, in your peace, in your patience, in your kindness, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. God is love. 
And when you love people, then this practically is how that love is displayed. And we're going to keep going. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. I saw a really cool post on Facebook. I don't know who it's from, where it came from, but it was simply, it just said these words. You can't compete with me because I'm rooting for you to win too. I want you to win too. My only motive in loving other people is that they will succeed, that they will live the abundant life. That's my motive. That's my heart. There's no ulterior motive within me, or there shouldn't be any ulterior motive within me. It's not about anything that I receive. Jesus will take care of that. But my motive in loving you is that you succeed. I'm rooting for you to win. I'm cheering you on. I want you to go further and farther than I ever could. Be enthusiastic, verse 11, to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. There it is again, intimacy. The NIV translates this, be faithful in prayer. In this phrase here, it's translated from a very strong Greek word that implies continuous persistence, perseverance, and insistence in your prayer. This verse encourages us to be faithful and persistent in prayer because it's our access to God for a life of spiritual intimacy and power. We talked about it Wednesday night. A prayerless church is a powerless church. We have to be in continual prayer, bathing everything we do in prayer. It is our access to the Father for a life of power and intimacy, but also is the means by which God advances his kingdom purposes on earth. It's inflow and outflow, right? In prayer, he pours his presence and love and power into you, his revelation of who that he is. But it can't just be contained within you. It's also the means by which he, through you, advances his kingdom purposes on earth. Go love your neighbor, right? Advance his kingdom purposes. Go tell someone about Jesus. Go to the homeless shelter and serve. Take a meal to a family who is in desperate need. It doesn't have to look religious. It has to look like Jesus. And love, love, love people. We can keep going, but we gotta gotta keep going here. Uh, Verse 13. Take a constant, here we go. Paul does it for me. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. We're seeing this happen on a weekly basis at LifeWay. Church, you are phenomenal lovers of people. You love people better than any church I've ever seen. And it's genuine. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing happening here at LifeWay. Speak, oh, I'm sorry, and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. That's what we're seeing in Acts 2. 
Speak blessing, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. If you want to know who your true friends are, it's not those who will come and hold your hand while you mourn. It's those who will come and celebrate with you when you succeed, when you get the promotion, when God's blessings are showered upon you. Who's there saying, yes, I'm so happy for you. I've been praying that this would happen. I'm so thankful that you got that promotion, that you that financial blessing came into your life, that you were, you know, the uh, what, what's the uh, the name of the company? They would come with the check to your house, the uh, Publishers Clearinghouse. I'm so glad they knocked on your door and not mine. That's what Paul's saying. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Weep with those who grieve. It's okay to feel somebody else's pain. It's okay to just go and sit with them. And you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to explain why this happened or try to explain. Just weep with them. Just be there. Be present. Jesus did. Jesus wept when his friend died. When his sisters were grieving, he wept with them. His, his heart was moved by compassion because he hurts when we hurt and we're called to do the same. Verse 16, live happily together in a spirit of harmony. Unity is another word for that. The NIV says of the same mind. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are your own. Leslie always says it this way. See the gold in people. Call out the gold in people because it's there. The diamond is there. Be as conscious of their worth and their value as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. I think in another life, Paul could have been a motivational speaker, right? It's compelling, but he's, he's so right. Humility is the way forward. Humility. We have to see people. And I don't mean, just mean see them. I mean really see people like Jesus saw people, that he was willing to spend an entire day till literally he couldn't hardly walk anymore because of exhaustion, pouring into people, ministering to people, because not because it's what he was created to do, he was created to do it, but because he loved them. And he was willing to give it all because he loved people. Never hold a grudge or try to get even but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everyone's friend. Wasn't Jesus called the friend of sinners? Do your best. Um, NIV translates this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. 
It's me saying I will do all I can to cultivate peaceful relationships with others. Now listen, what this does not mean, living in peace is important, but what this does not mean is that I compromise my standard of the gospel, the standard of the gospel, so that I can be accepted. It's not what it means. It does not mean that I avoid confrontation because believe me, I'm the king of avoiding confrontation. But that is a peacekeeper. And Jesus says we are to be peacemakers. So sometimes the purest form of peace lies on the other side of a conflict, handled in love, handled in grace. But you gotta go through it. You gotta have the difficult conversation. You have to confront the person in love. And on the other side of that is true peace. It's also not being someone else's punching bag and just taking the abuse because you don't want to stand up for what you really believe. You don't want to cause even greater conflict, so you just take the abuse. That's not living in peace either. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ which draws people to you even after a conflict happens. The genuine love of Christ disarms the, the enemy's attempt to disrupt peace. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. And we can walk in and move in peace. But it doesn't mean we just roll over and take it. We move in power and authority but we demonstrate the love and the compassion and kindness of Jesus to every person that we encounter, no matter who they are or what they've done to us. Verse 19, beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. If your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness. Focus in on those words. It's not about tolerating people. It's not about just not being mean or not taking revenge on them. No, it's about being proactive in your love. If my enemy comes in, Bless him. Bless them. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a while back, and he was struggling at work at his job because his boss um, was a difficult person to get along with. And I said, how often are you praying for him? How often are you praying that God blesses him? And it's such a revolutionary way of thinking. For me, I, I, it's, it's not that immediate response most of the time that, oh, they're being cruel to me. I should bless them. It's counterintuitive, but it's kingdom. It's kingdom. I'm gonna bless those who persecute me. I'm gonna buy my enemy lunch. And not just like McDonald's, okay? Like, I'm talking, you know, Kraft downtown, New Philly. Best food in the city by far. If you haven't been to Kraft, shameless plug, go to Kraft. Take your wife, your husband. Really, really nice, amazing restaurant there in downtown. Bless them. 
for your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Nothing is more eye-opening to someone than when they are undeservingly blessed. It opens their eyes. Like, wow, I can't believe I've been acting this way. I can't believe they didn't react and do the same thing back to me. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. I can never allow my need to feel vindicated to be more important than someone else's eternal future. You hear me? I cannot allow my need to feel vindicated to become more important than somebody else experiencing Jesus. Because listen, when I seek revenge, they'll never see Jesus. They'll see me. And it's not good. Displaying God's goodness will bring far more change than me holding a grudge. When I live with offense and seek revenge, even passive-aggressively, again, I'm the king of passive-aggressive. I do it very well. Right, honey? Yes, I do. And, and sometimes we think, oh, just because I'm not saying it, I'm not really doing any harm. But when you are thinking it, when it's consuming your thoughts, it comes out. It has its effect. And it's not Christ-like. Because the root is selfishness. The root is I want to get back at them. I want them to realize what they've done, what they've said, how they hurt me. And even if I don't tell them, I'm keeping it right there. Right? Out of the heart flows everything that we do. When I live with offense and I seek revenge, I'm telling them that they're not worthy of grace and forgiveness. Maybe God's, but not mine. Oh, God will forgive you, that's great, but forgive and forget? Heck no. Because that's our defense mechanism against future pain. If I forgive you, then I'm setting myself up to be hurt again. Jesus says forgive. Love, grace, mercy. That is how we are to move forward. Grace is undeserved favor. By giving your enemy a drink, you're not excusing his misdeeds. When you bless your enemy, you're not saying, oh, it's okay what you did. It really wasn't that big of a deal. That's not what you're doing. When you offer your enemy a drink, you're recognizing them. You're seeing them. You're forgiving them. And you're loving them in spite of their sin, just as Jesus did for us. That's what you're doing. There is not one person on the planet who is not worthy of your forgiveness. Because we were certainly not worthy of Jesus. But he saw us, he forgave us, and he offers us life. This is true transformation. And church, listen, it's not impossible to attain this kind of unity and harmony and love and everyone working together and fulfilling that vital role that we all have is not impossible. If it was, Jesus would have never commanded it. But he said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. Anything that Jesus commands us to do is possible and he will empower us to fulfill it. 
but we can't just be passive about it. We have to pursue it, and we will see our city transformed when we move in this kind of identity. Amen? Let's wrap it up with a pretty bow. Are you ready? Romans 13.10 says, Love makes it impossible to harm another. So fulfills all, the law, all that the law requires. In the NASB, it's love is the fulfillment of all that the law requires. What fulfills the law of Christ? When we love one another. And when you love somebody, it is impossible to harm them. Come on. This is deep. This is important. This is everything. As the body of Christ, this is who we are. We're to be servants of one another. We're to love each other. We're to set aside. That's what I feel like Jesus was saying at the beginning of the service. Set aside my agenda, my way, or the highway. We're setting that aside and we're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to love like you love. I want to serve like you serve. I want to give like you give. I want to speak like you speak. I want to think like you think. I want to move as you move. I want to be your servant. Galatians 5.13, we read this a couple weeks ago. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You have been set free so that you can then set someone else free in the love of Jesus Christ. Do not take advantage of your freedom. Don't waste it. You are free indeed. Bring someone else into that freedom. And that is what is happening here. You're free. Walk somebody else into freedom. You're loved. Walk someone else into love. You're whole. Walk with someone as they gain wholeness in Christ Jesus. King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table took a beautiful pledge together that says... In serving one another, we become free. It is a total folly for humanity to continue in the crazy idea that we can make it alone in life. God had the brilliant idea of placing us where our deepest needs for his love and grace are met in the hands and hearts of one another. It is called family. When we allow someone to help us, we are actually acknowledging our deeper need for God, both receiving and declaring our great dependency upon him again. Humility is the key to the doors of our hearts. Our inadequacies become opportunities for us to be unashamed because behind those messy, awkward moments, perfect love is right there waiting to set us free once more. It greatly pleases the Lord when we, his family, live in the willingness to open our hearts and receive his love from one another. For he knows that we are all together at our very best when we are living our lives in beautiful dependency upon him together. That's Molly Kate Skaggs. And I love how she put that. I was reading in my devotions, and, and she wrote about family. We're family. We're family. And in family, we fight for each other. To feel and know the love of Christ. To know who we are, who you are. I, I 
am for you. I'm here to serve you. You are for me. You're here to serve me. And when we move and have our being in this, something beautiful, powerful, and anointed happens. Acts 2.42, and daily they met together and broke bread together. And daily they had communion together. And they celebrated God and what he was doing. And they met together in the temple and they prayed together. And daily they had koinonia Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And our fellowship is not just coming on a Sunday morning and praising God. This is so good. But our fellowship is saying, hey, Natalie, I'm praying for you. God is for you. He is moving in you this week, and I am with you. Stacy, I love you. He is all over you. Go for it. It's encouraging one another as we follow Jesus on a daily basis. We were never, how many of you last year realized I was not meant to do life alone? Oh my goodness, when everything shut down, I lost my, like, what is going on? And I've shared that with you before. There is something so powerful in this valley that God has planned, and it comes out of the fellowship of believers who are for one another, who are living out Jesus, and who are breathing life and breath and healing over one another. Not judging one another, not speaking curses over one another, speaking blessings. Even if they've hurt you, bless them in the name of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. For love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. You may mess up, you may, but I'm going to be ready to forgive you. I hope you are ready to forgive me. Because we... Part of the Lord's prayer is, I forgive those who hurt me, and they, and you forgive me. And then at the end, Jesus says, and don't forget to forgive. That's why the chosen scene in that, in that part was so important. Matthew, Peter says, I'm not going to forgive you. Do you know what you did? Don't even apologize. Then Jesus walks by, and he realizes who he is and who he is, and they all just come to this place of, without Jesus, I'm not enough. And who am I to withhold forgiveness? Who am I to stand in the place and say, you can't have that part of the love of God, but you can have this part of the love of God? No, sir. No. Will you stand? Man, oh man, oh man. Since last night, I've been preparing uh, And just trying to hear the Holy Spirit's voice for this conclusion. And (laughs) family, family, family. And in this, and then in 1 Peter 4 8, it says, You echo the intense love for one another, echo God's love, echo God's love. You know, when you're in a valley and there's an echo in between the mountains? The Lord just showed me the church is to be the echo of my love in this valley. And we're going to see love transform this beautiful place. Not what we do and how we do it. Not how good we are. Not what we say. But love will be the transforming power in this beautiful place. Because you can each one say and I can say that the love of Jesus is what has made the difference in my life. You are dearly loved. Yes. We, Kim, I was going to ask you before, but we were doing preparation for the Bible study, and we were studying John 14, 15, 
And in that, it talks about our love for one another. And it was like this epiphany hit us all. We are one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when we accept Christ into our lives. But that doesn't just mean with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are one with each other. We are blood. We are related. We are family. And I want you to know today, look around. The people in this room love you, care about you, and want you to know who you are in the deepest possible way. If we don't have love, we have nothing. I don't want to be a clanging symbol. I want to be an echo of the love of God in this valley. Amen? Fellowship, koinonia, means partnership. It means community. Communion, spiritual fellowship. Fellowship in the spirit. It means letting go of my schedule, my plans for my week, my plans for my time, and saying, Holy Spirit, guide me, tell me what to do, when to do it, where to go, who to have at my house, who to minister to in my workplace, who to love this week. It means letting go of what I want and saying, my life in complete surrender to your love, I want to live for you, Jesus. Surrender. Let it go. His way is way better. Amen? I feel such a challenge of like, let go of your schedule. Let go of your time frame. Let go of your plan for your job and the way it's happening. Let it go and let Jesus work in it and through it and he'll, it'll be way better than you could ever make it. He'll guide you to the right place. He'll take you to the right job. He'll bring your family where he wants your family, not where you think your family should be. Come on. In our surrender, his love is the transforming power. And when we love him and he loves us, then we can freely love each other and see the beauty in one another and call out the glory in this place, in each other. This is just a valley, but without people in it. With people in it, this is the kingdom of heaven. Father God, we surrender to you. We surrender our, our time. We, we surrender our resources. Whew. We, we surrender our giftings. We surrender our talents, our treasures. We surrender our homes, our cars, our jobs, our paychecks. We surrender God our way, our will, in submission to you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That means light as a feather. When you walk in union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and his body, his bride, the church, your brothers and sisters, your friends, your family, when you walk in unity, there is no heavy weight, there is no pressure, there is no burden, there is freedom and glory in Jesus' name. I don't know what he's asking you to walk into 
this week or even this year. Maybe it's a bigger thing than what I'm speaking to, but I don't know what he's asking you to walk into, but I can tell you, you can fully trust him to give you everything you need immeasurably more. You can trust him to answer every part of your request and how he deems appropriate when you say your kingdom come, your will be done in my life and he will work it to your good in Jesus name. You can trust him. Father God, we ask for your increase in our lives as your kingdom advances in this beautiful place. Let us be your servants, servants of all. Let us see the need and meet the need. Let us lift one another up. Let us celebrate with one another and and just cheer each other on in this great faith that we have in you. We praise your name. I want you to do what we did at the beginning of the service. I want you to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you, and I want you to pray over them. You can pray out loud. Just pray a blessing. If you don't know them, just pray, God, bless my sister, bless my brother with overflowing abundance, with healing in their bodies, God with provision, Lord, with dreams and visions, God. Words from heaven on a daily basis like honey, sweet honey. Oh, bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. I pray for a bond of unity and of love to surround us and envelop us and bind us together as your your children, as your family. Oh, God, that we would move and have our being in and through your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. You guys have an awesome week.